As a Yellowstone Park Ranger, I was often out on routine hikes as part of my job duties. These hikes were meant to help me familiarize myself with the park's trails and to keep an eye out for any potential hazards or issues that might need to be addressed. It was also an opportunity for me to observe and interact with the park's wildlife, as well as educate visitors about the importance of preserving and protecting the natural environment. On this particular day, I was out on a routine hike because it was part of my regular patrol schedule. I was walking along this narrow trail that led through a dense forest when I heard this rustling in the underbrush. I stopped and listened carefully, trying to determine what was causing that noise. It sounded like it was getting closer, so I slowly reached for my bear spray just in case. Suddenly, a massive creature burst out of the trees and onto the trail in front of me. It was a wolf, but unlike any wolf I'd ever seen before. This wolf was standing on two legs like a human and towering over me. It had this dark brown fur that was shining in the sunlight. Its eyes were piercing and they looked intelligent. Its jaws were strong and powerful, filled with sharp teeth that were bared in a snarl. Its claws were extended, ready to attack, and it seemed to be sizing me up, as if it was trying to decide whether or not to attack. Overall, the wolf had this intimidating and aggressive presence, and I could tell that it was a formidable predator. I froze, unsure what to do. The wolf seemed to be sizing me up. Its eyes narrowed and its lips pulled back in a snarl. It was clearly agitated. I could see that it was ready to attack. I slowly backed away, trying to keep my distance from the wolf. But it was no use. It was too fast. It just lunged at me. Its sharp teeth bared and its claws extended. I tried to fend it off with my bear spray, but the wolf was too strong. It knocked me to the ground and began to bite and claw at me, determined to bring me down. I fought for my life trying to escape from the wolf's grasp, but it was no use. It was just too powerful. I was certain it was going to kill me, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. Just when I thought it was all over, the wolf suddenly stopped attacking. It looked right at me with its piercing gaze, then turned off and ran into the forest, disappearing into the trees. I lay there on the ground, battered and bruised, but somehow alive. Honestly, it was a miracle that I had survived that encounter. I was eventually rescued by a team of rangers and rushed to the hospital, where I was treated for my injuries. The bite marks were deep and numerous, and it was clear that I had been attacked by a large predatory animal. But when I tried to tell the authorities about the strange bipedal wolf that attacked me, they dismissed my claim and insisted that it must have been a gray wolf or a bear. They even went so far as to cover up the incident, pretending that it never happened. I knew that what I had seen was real, and that the authorities were just trying to protect the reputation of the park. But I also couldn't prove it, and that I would have to live with the memory of that terrifying encounter for the rest of my life. I've thought about that moment many times since that day, and I have a few theories about why that wolf might have stopped attacking me. One possibility is that the wolf just simply lost interest in attacking me. It may have been agitated or provoked by something else. And my presence may have simply been a coincidence. Once it had satisfied its aggression, 
and may have just simply lost interest in me and decided to move on. Another possibility is that wolf was startled by something else and may have heard or seen something that caused it to become distracted or frightened, and it may have decided to run away rather than continuing to attack me. Ultimately, I'll never know for certain why it stopped attacking me. It was an extraordinary and unexpected moment, and one that I'll always remember. Hi Donovan, I'm very excited to be writing in as a fifth generation rancher who is also a fifth-generation skinwalker witness. My family has ranched out of New Mexico, and I've got five skinwalker sightings to tell you about. In 2020, I was moving cattle from New Mexico to Texas after selling part of my herd. I had one cow that was just refusing to be caught, so I went with an unconventional method of catching her. I decided to wait till she was asleep and sneak up on her with a rope. It was a little past midnight on August 4th, and I was heading out into the pasture on my ATV hunting her down. I found her asleep and standing up near the watering hole, so I parked the ATV so I could walk up on her with less noise. Just as I was getting close, though, I heard something pounding in the dirt behind me. I turned and looked, and there it was. I could only really see it by the light of the moon, but it looked like a human twisted around walking on all fours with its knees pointed backwards. It looked at me with these glowing eyes and I jumped back, startled at the sight. I took off on foot back to my four-wheeler. I figured I'd find another way to catch the old cow. I wasn't going to spend another minute out there with that thing. The whole way out of the pasture, I could see it in my peripherals running alongside me. Fortunately, I finally did manage to get away. But when we went out after the cow the next morning, She'd been just about picked clean. All that was left were her bones, laid out bleaching in the summer sun. My mom saw the same thing on the property back in 1979. She had retired from barrel racing in the rodeo, but still enjoyed working horses, and was out running one she just broke through that same field one evening when the skinwalker chased her. Just like with me, she said it looked like a twisted human with glowing yellow eyes. She and Dad divorced not long after that, because she wanted to sell the land and leave, but he refused. After all, it's a generational ranch. In 1966, my grandfather had also seen the skinwalker there. They were putting up a new barn on the northeasternmost corner of the ranch, and my grandpa had stayed out late to finish up some of the interior work after the lights were finally installed. He had both barn doors open, with a breeze flowing through the middle of the barn as it was a pretty hot summer night, and he was wanting all the fresh air he could get while hanging the stall doors. As he was working, he felt something creep up beside him, and he thought it was his dog, a German shepherd he had called Martin. He reached out to pet Martin, but he didn't feel him there. So he looked to see where he was. That's when he saw the skinwalker, in the same form me and my mom saw standing in the middle of the barn hallway, staring right at him. He screamed and the skinwalker left, but Grandpa searched all over the ranch and never did find Martin. Years later, we'd find a dog skeleton laid out in the field. The bones were all broken up like something had eaten it. In 1947, my great-grandmother Iris was hanging clothes in the backyard at the ranch when her dog Maddie went barking and howling at something over the horizon. When she looked out to see what the dog was barking at, 
It was a great big bear, not something a person would expect to see out here in New Mexico. She called the dogs and the kids and they ran inside, and she watched as the bear crept up closer to the house. They didn't have a telephone, so she couldn't call for help. She sent the kids to hide under their beds, and she pushed a hope chest against the door, hoping to keep the bear out. She heard the thing grunting and circling the house, pawing at the sides and scratching the glass at the windows. But she curled up in a ball and hid under the shelves in the pantry until the noise stopped and it left. Afterwards, when her husband got home, they took a walk outside together to check on the damage. There wasn't a whole lot, but they found something even more startling. At one point while circling the house, the bear's footprints began to change. By the time it left the homestead and took off back over the hill, the bear's prints had turned into almost human-like tracks, with elongated fingers and toes, and a sharp claw poking holes in the ground at the end of each. The first reported sighting of a skinwalker in my family, though, was when my great-grandfather first bought the land in 1919. He saw it many, many times. He built the original house by hand, and camped out in the tent on the land every night until the house was built. In his journal, he wrote about the skinwalker circling his camp often at night, watching the glow of the fire from a distance. He made peace with the skinwalker by leaving offerings of meat out for it at the top of the hill at the end of the valley, and every time the ranch has changed hands throughout its years, it comes with a warning about the skinwalker being there. Now, after what happened with the cow, my family is wanting to leave, but it's a generational ranch. Just like my dad, I can't bring myself to give it up so easily. All I can do is teach my kids about the skinwalker that lives here and how to protect themselves when it's their turn to face it down. I never used to believe that our dreams meant anything. I always thought people who kept dream diaries or who tried to apply hidden meanings to them were a bit on the crazy side, but I'm not sure how I feel anymore. About 10 years ago, my family was going through a personal crisis. I was about 25 at the time, and my younger brother was utterly possessed by drug addiction. He had been arrested a few times and even stole from my parents and from other family members. My mother refused to kick him out of the house but she made him attend this 60-day inpatient rehab in the city. I had a friend who worked there, and she promised to keep an eye on him. The first few weeks were great, and my brother started gaining weight and would even laugh and joke around with us when we went to visit on Sundays. There was still a lot of hurt to mend, but that could wait for the future. We were all feeling hopeful and just wanted my brother to be okay. Right around the third week, my brother had been in rehab, I started having kind of a reoccurring dream. A man I have never met nor remember seeing would be walking down the street. He had shoulder-length curly brown hair and these green eyes behind a pair of thick-rimmed glasses. His mouth was always in sort of a semi-smile, but not a smirk, almost like he was completely content with wherever he was in the world. Even though he was only walking, I could never catch up to him. After a while, he would always turn and look at me, and then that's it. I would wake up every time he would look at me. Like I said, I didn't really buy into any of that spiritual stuff and just figured out he was some guy in a TV show I watched or that I just can't remember. After about a week of having these dreams, 
I got a call from my friend down at the rehab. She told me that in the middle of the night, my brother had signed himself out. He wasn't court-ordered and my parents, against my advice, had left a little cash with him in case he needed toiletries or something. I had a good idea of where he was going. Kensington, North Philadelphia. It's an incredibly open-air market for what he wanted. I considered leaving him to his fate, but he was my brother, and despite how angry and hurt I was, I loved him, so I went looking for him. I had a picture of him, but I didn't really think it would be of any use. Still, I tried. I walked around for hours showing the pictures to passerbys and pretty much waiting to get beat up or robbed at any moment. I walked for hours and hours. It was getting late, and as desperate as I was, I knew that staying after dark would be guaranteed trouble. I started heading back towards the bus stop when I thought I recognized someone standing at the end of the street. It was the man from my dreams. He stared at me for a few seconds with that slight smile on his face, and then he turned and walked around the corner. I sprinted to catch up to him, momentarily forgetting about my brother. When I rounded the corner, I saw that he was already at the next block and turning again. There was no way, not even if I ran, that he could have made it that far. I kept running after him. Some of the other people on the sidewalk were yelling curses at me. We played that cat and mouse game for several blocks, and he turned a few more times. Finally, as I came speeding around another corner, I saw him standing in front of an alleyway. He turned to look at me, and then he walked down it. I trotted over to the head of the alley and peered down. The alley ended in this dead-end brick wall, and the guy was nowhere to be seen. Only a bunch of garbage and a dumpster. And that's when I noticed a pair of legs sticking out from behind the dumpster. Thinking it was the guy, I rushed over with a bald fist. But it was my brother. He was unconscious. I tried to slap him awake, but he wasn't responding. I pulled out my phone and called 911. Due to the sheer number of overdoses in the area, there were a lot of emergency response teams nearby. They got there in a few minutes and shot my brother full of Narcan and rushed him to the hospital. He survived, and not only that, the incident was enough to actually knock some sense into him. He's still clean to this day and owns a successful landscaping business. I wouldn't dream about the man for another 10 years. I became a dad recently to a little baby boy. The pregnancy was pretty rough on my wife, and we had a few scares, but in the end, we were blessed with the new addition to our family. Sleep, when it came, was restless, and over the last two weeks, I started dreaming about that man again. This time, he was just standing there, right in front of me, but at a weird angle, almost like I was looking up at him. No matter what I did, I couldn't touch him, and I would always wake up after a while. I chalked it up to bad sleeping or being too preoccupied with my son to give it any real thought. When my son was about two months old, my wife was finally starting to feel like her old self again. We had just laid the baby down for a nap, and my wife wanted to go visit her sister a few minutes away before the baby woke up again and was hungry. She deserved a little time to herself and I wanted to trim some of the hedges out back, which was going to take 20 minutes tops. I had headphones on connected to the baby monitor, as well as an app on my phone that was connected to video. I could see and hear everything in the room. I was outside, my back turned to the house. I was almost done, maybe about another 10 minutes when I pulled out my phone to check on my son. There was someone standing next to his crib, 
staring right into the baby camera. It was the man. The same man from the day that I found my brother. In a full panic, I rushed into the house and right into the bedroom. I looked around quickly and I couldn't see him anywhere. Our house isn't that big. It's a single-story ranch. It only took a few seconds to check every other room. I went back into the bedroom to check on the baby, and my gut just dropped to the floor. Somehow, my little boy had wiggled around in his swaddle, and it had come up higher than it should, covering his mouth and nose. I couldn't see it from the camera angle. I frantically pulled it down to his chin and could see that his face had a slightly bluish tint to it. I pulled him out of the crib and placed him onto the bed while simultaneously calling 911 from my cell phone. The person on the phone walked me through what to do while the paramedics came. But even as I followed her steps, my son's color started to return to normal, and he was breathing okay. The paramedics showed up a few minutes later, and still thought we should take him to the hospital just to be sure. I went with the van and called my wife to tell her what happened. But I was feeling better now because my son wasn't showing any signs of distress. We got to the hospital my wife showing up a few minutes later, and sat right outside the room while the nurses and the doctors checked him out. The doctor eventually came out and confirmed that he was just fine, and no permanent damage had been done. She did tell us, however, that even a couple of minutes longer without breathing, and the result could have been devastating. This happened five days ago, and my son is doing just fine. We got rid of all the swaddles and opted for a sleeping sack instead. I've been doing some research on this stuff, this man or whatever he is. That's how I found your channel. And while I'm still not totally convinced, and I'm sort of starting to believe that there might be entities or spirits in the world, and not all of them are bad. So who or whatever you are, thank you. Let me know what you think of these stories in the comments below. And don't forget to check out my other channels. Dread Captures brings you the strangest trail cam footage. If it's weird, creepy, and unexplainable, you'll find it on Dread Captures. Dread Discovers is everything that I find fascinating. From real-life giants to urban legends that became true, and creepy pictures with backstories just to name a few topics. Also, check out Lilith Dread's channel, who is similar to mine but narrated by Lilith herself. Thanks and take care.